Brad and Glenda Pius. Thank you so much for sewing into Morning Drive Bible. Without your commitment and support, this initiative couldn't come to fruition. Greetings from Jerusalem. My name is David Nekrutman. My name is Scott Kahn. I'm back into the regular routine of just introducing myself and not introducing you, Scott. But you forgot to say that this is Morning Drive Bible. Oh, I forgot. This is Morning Drive Bible. (laughs) Oh, man. This is not a magic take. (laughs) This is not a magic take. I lost my Ringo Starr status from last podcast. To understand that, listen to the previous episode. Exactly. And the last... Last episode, we dealt with the issue of the stumbling block argument. Yes, we said that when it says in Leviticus that one may not place a stumbling block before the blind, the rabbis have always understood this as not referring specifically to a physical stumbling block per se, but rather primarily to a moral stumbling block or a religious stumbling block, giving someone opportunity or license or perhaps actively causing them to sin when they don't realize it's a sin. That's a stumbling block. As a pro-life person, I believe that we as Jews, Orthodox Jews, in engagement with greater society, should be more active in the protest of having drive-by abortions. And you argued last time, saying, no, we have to consider the whole ramification of what I'm saying, and it can end up actually violating Jewish law, where if the mother is at risk of her life, both physically and emotionally, if we would protest that you can't have abortion, then there's possibility that states would ban abortion altogether and therefore also causing... Even if not altogether, banning it in cases where Jewish law would allow allow such a thing. And therefore, therefore, my argument of the stumbling block also will apply for that as well. I'll give you a perfect example in a podcast which we've referred to called the Chochmat Nashim podcast, which appears on the podcast network, jewishcoffeehouse.com. One of the hosts, Rachel Stomel, mentioned a specific story about a family who had a very, very rare genetic issue such that they only discovered it when their third child was born. The baby suffered tremendously. The baby died before two. There's no cure. And there's also no way of testing this particular genetic issue until three months or more after conception, at which point even people who might be pro-choice, at least in theory, might say that abortion would be prohibited once you get past the first trimester. And yet they could only test for this genetic issue after three months had passed. And they spoke to an important authority in Jewish law who gave them permission to check in future pregnancies for this genetic abnormality after the first trimester so that should the fetus, God forbid, have this genetic problem, the parents would be allowed to abort in order to prevent serious mental anguish that would be almost life-threatening to the mother and the father. The point is, though, it's not so outlandish to imagine a case where abortion would be prohibited and Jewish law would mandate it. Right. So there would be an argument as far as the extent of how, how much of a prohibition you would put on abortion. And by the way, when I say Jewish law would mandate abortion, the reason I say that I'm using that term carefully, almost every allowance for abortion is based on threat to the mother. Once there's threat to life, then it no longer is an option. One has to look at it as a requirement. I'm not sure most people think of it like that, but from a technical legal perspective, that's really the way we have to see it. I'm in agreement with you that that could be the extent of it. But my argument towards the end of the podcast was 60 million United States babies were aborted based upon that drive-by abortions were allowed. And you're arguing, David, that despite the reservations I just mentioned, we really should be protesting this. Anyway, we'll agree to disagree about this point. Okay, and I want to now bring a piece of Talmud. 
which I have open in front of me, Tractate of Odazara. This deals with the issue of having other gods besides the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the course of a discussion, we have a particular passage that deals with the issue of a stumbling block. And over here, David is referring to a, on page 6a, which I will broadly translate. I won't read the original Aramaic. But essentially, the dis- we don't have to get into the specifics of the discussion, but something is quoted in the context of a larger discussion where Rabbi Nathan says, how do we know that a person is not allowed to hand a cup of wine to a Nazir? A Nazir is essentially a type of Jewish monk. They more or less don't exist nowadays, but in the times of the temple, people would become a Nazir. That this means- is in the Book of Numbers. The Book of Numbers. And it would mean that the person would not drink any wine or eat any great products. The person would grow his or her hair and also not come into any contact with the dead. So can a person hand a cup of wine to a Nazir such that the Nazir doesn't realize it's wine or perhaps doesn't realize it's forbidden? Whatever the case is, can you do so? Or can a person give a prohibited part of an animal to a non-Jew? Non-Jews are not obligated to keep the laws of kosher, kashrut. However, they do have to keep something called aver minachai, which means one may not eat a piece of an animal that was cut off from a living animal. Right. And that's considered in Jewish law a violation even for non-Jews. It's not kashrut per se. It's something which no one is allowed to do. It's part of universal morality. So is one allowed to give this piece of an animal that was living when the piece was cut off to a non-Jew? And the Talmud says, no, this is a violation of do not place a stumbling block before the blind. And this clearly says, and I'm hurting my own argument, I realize that, but this clearly says, David is just now bowing, saying, ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> this is clearly saying that a Jew may not cause a non-Jew to sin. One cannot hand him something which is a violation of his natural law. And therefore, as a result of that, one cannot say that a Jew can simply stand by idly if a government is allowing prohibited abortions to take place. This means that the law, which doesn't allow us to place a stumbling block before the blind, meaning in a moral sense, applies whether the blind person, the one who doesn't know the law, is Jewish or non-Jewish. It doesn't matter. Either way, we cannot do it. We cannot support it. That's what you're trying to say, I'm trying, I Yeah, that's right. basically the argument. Let me argue a counter-argument, okay. which is that there's a difference between handing a non-Jew this piece of meat versus watching him do it and not stopping him. In other words, the corollary would be, there's a difference between actively voting to permit abortion versus not protesting. I would argue that this prohibition doesn't mean one can't stand by. It means one can't abet. One can't aid. One can't help it happen. But to simply not protest, I'm not sure is a violation of this, even assuming it's prohibited in the first place. Okay, that's the counter-argument. We're going to discuss this more in our next podcast. My name is David Nekratman. My name is Scott Kahn. Blessings from Jerusalem.